Welcome to episode 115 of Inside AgriTurf and the AgriTurf Academy. I'm your host Chris Biddle and I'm delighted that you can join me for a cracking episode today about possibly the most difficult issue being faced by employers today. Now ask any business owner in any business to name the major challenges he or she faces and you can bet that recruiting the right people and then making sure they stay will more than often top their list of concerns. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Harris, the founder of Real Success, a company specialising in helping the farming community solve employment issues from recruitment through to ensuring that retaining staff is a real priority in a fast-changing and ever more complex industry. Now, So much has changed in recent years and the methods used to recruit the right staff. And as you will hear Paul say, It is no longer a case of whether the employee is right for the organisation. It's now more about whether that company or organisation is right for the employee. Now, although Paul's company focuses principally on the requirements of farmers, his advice is highly relevant to allied companies in agriculture or indeed any company. And this episode is just part one of my conversation with Paul and focuses on recruitment. Part two, we'll look at the golden rules of retaining staff. So, Paul, many thanks for joining me. Um, did you have a background in agriculture before starting Real Success? Chris, and thank you for inviting me to be on the podcast today. It's a delight to be here. No, my background originally was, well, I left school and became an accountant for five years before I then realized that wasn't for me, got into sales and marketing. And I worked in the DIY sector for most of my career, about 25 years. In fact, I was selling wallpaper to people like B&Q. So nothing to do with agriculture whatsoever. And then even when I started my business 14 years ago, I didn't intend to be in agriculture at all. And I fell into to it not literally but I was presenting at a particular workshop and someone came up to me and said that piece about communication my farming clients would really benefit from that will you come down and see them and I sort of I did and without sounding too cheesy the rest is history when I started my own business I quickly discovered that there wasn't anybody really doing what we do now in in that particular sector so I'm an adopted farmer Chris I've been in farming now for over 10 years and I feel like I am part of the industry but I certainly wasn't at the beginning but but it seems that you expand this role as a recruitment agency to sort of see the whole process right through to recruitment and, and advising your clients on how to retain staff as well. So you see it as a sort of a complete roundtable, if you like. We do, yeah. It's, it, it's also it's a continuum, really. So we tend to call ourselves a people lifecycle business. So I originally started without recruitment. It was really helping farmers to retain staff. So I've sort of done it in reverse, really. We then quickly realised that the it, when people were struggling to retain staff, they, of course, needed to recruit. So now we are everything, real success is everything from the moment you need somebody, the recruitment end, through the retention piece and how do you hold on to people, right through to the R word that we don't mention in agriculture, retirement. So and helping with succession planning and sometimes when we need to move people on. So it's the entire life cycle of somebody on, on, a, on a farm, particularly which is our main client's. 
Well, I, I guess with clients and, and companies in this sector, the number one concern at the moment is recruiting enough staff, enough mm, quality indeed. staff. So if we just dive into recruitment at the moment and come to that situation where a key member of staff leaves, what do you do then? I mean, do, do you have to d- dive in straight away and trying to replace him or her? No, I think for those of us old enough to remember this, Dad's Army, there was a character that used to say, don't panic, Mr. Mannering. Don't panic, don't panic. <laughs> and other young people are thinking, what on earth are you talking about? But that's, that, that's the absolute principle, first of all, is not to panic. The first step, really, I always think, is to, is to ask yourselves why that person is leaving. Now, some people leave for very positive reasons. They can be leaving your organisation because it's for promotion or the family are moving or it is another positive reason for development, maybe. You could argue that, well, could they not develop where they were? But the main thing is, is it why have they left? Is it potentially somebody within your business that's still there that's causing people to leave is it because there's not insufficient training and development so the first thing of course is to ask the person ideally through an exit interview before they leave why they're leaving that will give you a significant clue into maybe there's a a problem within your business that needs to be resolved before you recruit but the first thing is don't panic (laughs) and dive straight into quickly we've got to get an advert out we've got to get somebody in we can't afford to lose them it can often be an opportunity as well chris just to step back from your business and say is this an opportunity to restructure you know now somebody's leaving can we move people around the key really in that first step is stop think and plan yeah, because I guess uh, any company, whether they're a farmer or a dealer or a manufacturer, I mean, the cost of replacing staff is is not insignificant, is it? And they will lay out on a piece of capital equipment, but maybe don't don't uh, actually take regard to the actual cost of recla- replacing these staff. Well, there's two costs really to think about, Chris. One absolutely is the cost of recruitment, which can be, there was some, there's there's lots of research out there. I quote some research from five or six years ago now, so the numbers will probably be bigger than this, but there was a survey done and of the people that were, that were asked about 70% of people thought it cost a minimum of £15,000 to replace somebody up to more than that if the positions are more senior and that's in retraining people it can be mistakes can people lost business could even be lost clients if you're a dealer and suddenly you lose somebody because one of your members of staff has left so there's that cost but there's also going back to the don't panic and don't dive in there's also the the, when we do think about buying a piece of machinery particularly from a farming perspective if they're going to invest in a new tractor that we're selling them that can often be anything certainly anything plus a hundred thousand pounds hundred two hundred thousand pounds three hundred thousand pounds and generally farmers will think quite carefully about that but actually sometimes when we're going to employ a member of staff for any business whether it's in agri- in farming or on the supply side if you think an average person just an average person might be twenty five thousand pounds a year and if they're going to stay with you for let's say five years that's £125,000 investment. So whether you're on farm or whether you're a dealer or you're about to employ somebody, that decision you're about to make could cost your business anything between one hundred and twenty-five and a quarter of a million pounds. And yet we die straight in. The first person that comes along who's vertical breathing and can speak English, <laughs> we'll take them on board <laughs> you know, because we can be panicking. And that's just the worst form of recruitment when we're in that sort of desperate stage. Indeed. And and so when you come to this 
recruitment process as a specialist in agriculture, which is a very special industry. It's it's an industry that obviously gets a lot of coverage, but not a lot of people know what actually happens within the industry. So what sort of pool are you fishing in then as a recruiter? Presumably colleges, rural colleges are a, a prime, but are you finding that you're getting interest from people who are from a non-rural background, I mean, what's yeah. the pool like? Well, I think the, the pool is vast. Whether the industry wants to fish in that big pool is a different question. People often say to us, can you find me somebody who's experienced? Can you find me somebody who can do the job? And of course, the, by definition, if people are retiring and we're not replacing people from colleges and universities and taking on apprentices and things like that, we're eventually all fishing in the same pond. Whereas if we're braver, And we look sometimes for people who are outside of the industry looking to get into it on the supply side or on the farm side. They're often the people that are desperately interested in the industry, but just don't know where to start. And actually, those um, clients that sometimes could be argued take a risk on somebody who's less experienced often will find somebody who is very passionate about whether it's tractors or machinery or livestock. So it is about looking outside. There is also, there will be when we're looking for people, lots of people that don't fit the criteria. And we have to be brave enough to get a big enough pool. We often talk about any position. Ideally, you want about 100 applicants to give you 10 people that you're worth looking at and having a chat to, to give you two or three people that you're going to interview to give you that one person. So we need to spread the pool as wide as we can using social media, using platforms like Indeed, we will spread our, uh, our, our net, as you describe it, Chris, quite wide to get as many people as possible. And in, you know, and a lot of people at colleges are looking for placements with um, companies as well and being prepared to take those people on. You need to be what I call an employer of choice to do that for colleges to select you. But, you know, the, the pool is wide should we choose to look that far. And, and of course, it is by definition a quite an unsocial industry i mean it, it there's long hours out there so it does need special type of people who will adapt to that doesn't it well and i think as well yes it does but also as an industry across the industry from the supply side to the on-farm side we need to be looking at what we're offering people it's an incredible industry particularly within the engineering side the science and technology and machinery now is you know more than you can put people, people put somebody on the moon with the amount of gps technology we've got in some of our machinery so it is really appealing and we need to focus on those elements of what we're offering young people in particular the science the technology and the, on the livestock side the, the science around animal welfare and veterinary is incredible but we tend to talk the industry down a little bit and we talk about the long hours and the poor working conditions well if we can fix some of those things and we can there are people out there right now who have got farms that are working less hours and they've got organizations where they're working sensible hours with good working conditions. We can change that perception, I believe, Chris, and certainly we at Real Success are really working hard to change the perception of the agricultural sector as long hours, difficult working conditions, as opposed to amazing science and technology, fantastic environment to work in should you wish to. Um, but there are those people, yes, it's not necessarily for the typical nine to five office environment there are people within the industry that can do that but i think there are people that are looking for that something slightly different than the typical office job and we can offer that 
And do you, and once you've sort of hit your projected target of a hundred applicants, do you as a company sift those before you pass them on to a client? Yeah, very much so. And we would encourage our clients who might be recruiting themselves to do so as well. You have to screen people. So we never would suggest that if you are looking to recruit somebody that you immediately interview your 10. No, I mean, we have 16 stages of a recruitment process that we go through right from understanding, let's say, why somebody's left to creating clear job descriptions, to writing important adverts, deciding where you're going to advertise. It's a whole series of, of, of steps. One of those steps is to screen your candidates, which is to have a telephone call with them, speak to them. I mean, you know, COVID showed us the technology we can use now. So we will do a lot of pre-interviews now via Zoom. Don't drag people all the way across the country to come and visit your organisation. Do a Zoom interview with them first and then bring them in for an interview potentially uh, in your organisation. Do do you find that uh, employers are probably clued up on Describing the role that they want to to offer to somebody, is there sometimes a difficult of them being a little bit too vague? Oh, completely. Yeah. Again, one of the key steps, the second step, actually, once you've decided why somebody's left is what is the job this person's going to do? And having written job descriptions and something called a person specification. So the job description is what the person's going to do for you, listing out all the tasks and responsibilities and getting really clear with that and who they'll report to, where they sit in the organization. And then you've got what's called a person specification is What skills and attributes do you want that person to have? If they're going to work in customer service in one of your dealerships, you need somebody who's going to have a a decent telephone manner. So being able to write all this down before you start helps you to then write the correct advert. And then you know what you're looking for when you're doing that screening process and those interviews. And and what about the method of actually putting that job out there? Obviously, there's in the past, it's been magazines and print and, and so on. But there are so many choices now on where you can you can yes, offer indeed. employment. Where is it going in terms of recruitment? What, what, are the, what are the companies like you using to get the best results? Sure. Well, I mean, anybody really, probably under the age of 70 now, let alone 40, 50, when we look for a job, when we look, whatever part of the sector we're in, whether we're on farm or we're in the supply side, the first place we go to is online. So most people now are using an online portal to find a job that will either be something like indeed.com where you can place your adverts or total jobs. These are worldwide job sites. But the real place that we find most traction now is our own website where people can come to our website because we'll use that. So you can put a job on your own website and then social media, Facebook groups, Instagram, Twitter, all those are the places, particularly where a lot of young people will will look. So if you don't have an online presence, a decent website, and perhaps a jobs page on your website, it's going to be very difficult for people to find you. There is a little bit of a, a place for, for, for printed advertising in magazines and things like that. But I would suggest that whilst they are still relevant for maybe a very senior job, for most jobs online, indeed, your website and social media will be the places that we use. And of course, if you're going into print adverts, you're limiting the the scope of that advert. Whereas, obviously, with social media, you're 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 likely to get interest from very unexpected quarters, aren't you? Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, the thing about printed media and places like Farmers Weekly or Farmers Guardian, they're great magazines. I have them every month, but most people don't look for jobs there now, in my view. As you say, you're restricted to the person 
buying that magazine or purchasing it and happening to open it on that day. Whereas online advertising, both which people like Farmers Weekly and Farmers Guardian do offer, that's where people go. They go online, Chris. It's as simple as that. So you need to be in those places and places like Indeed, which actually, interestingly, you can place an advert on Indeed.com for free. It doesn't even Mm. cost you a penny to do it. And you have access to a worldwide population. So you can then use a bit like Google advertising. You can pay a little bit within Indeed to get your advert seen by more people, which is what we do. We have an arrangement with Indeed where we will pay a contribution and that gets our adverts further up the rankings but you've got to be online. That's the place people are looking for jobs. Yeah. And how important is it for the employer to sell themselves as a good place to work, as a, as a chosen place, to, as an employer of choice, shall we say? Sure. I think this is another area where it's part of the 16 steps. First of all, you think about where you're going to advertise, which is what we've just been talking about in terms of social media and online. Then you think about writing your advert. And what I'm always amazed at is when people write really dull and boring adverts. The whole purpose of an advert, it's not an interview. The purpose of an advert is to get someone to apply. Simple as that. So my recommendation is we have a formula that we follow, which is tell them where you're you're based, tell them about your business, tell them about the job, tell them about the person that you're looking for, tell them about the benefits you're going to offer and tell them a bit more about where you're based. A simple formula like that. But then use adjectives, descriptive words, positive words. Don't say we have an opportunity. And I know these words can be overused at times. We have an exciting opportunity or new opportunity or due to expansion, we're now looking for somebody. Due to growth in our business, we're looking for some somebody. And then talk about the investment you've made in your business. If you've got new machinery or new models or new things that you're bringing out or new initiatives, talk about that in your advert because your advert has got to stand out from a, a, a malaise of other adverts so use descriptive words if your location if you are based in a beautiful location say you're based in a beautiful location don't just say we're located near to oxford if we're in a beautiful village five miles south of oxford you know talk about that or if you've got the view of the seaside talk about that so it's it's making your adverts stand out from others by using positive language and don't use I say don't use negative language. I'm doing it myself there by saying don't. So avoid things like, you know, uh, job will require you to work long hours. No, that's immediately going to put somebody off. So just, I think the old fashioned phrase, Chris, is sell the sizzle, Mm. you know, and actually talk about the exciting parts of what you can offer, including benefits, training, development, investing in people, your team, that sort of area is all part of a job advert. And there's an old phrase, if we're we're swapping phrases, but uh, is that uh, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And I suppose in many ways, the company's website is a first impression that a lot of people will get. But um, do you advise people to go beyond that? Oh, gosh, yes. So, I, again, we're in, a, we're in a technical world now. I call it the online footprint. So the start point is you have to have a good online footprint, which is a website that is, that is up to date. It doesn't have to be you know, constantly being updated, but it does need to show you often your best light. Um, ideally, you need to be on social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even TikTok nowadays. Absolutely. But then when you talk about the first impression, Chris, once we've spent all the time to get our online footprint right, we've put a decent advert out, we've done some screening, we've got some people coming for interview, and then the place they come to interview, be interviewed at 
is either untidy, it's messy, we're not prepared, we haven't got the job description in front of us, it's noisy. All those things can actually then make someone go, do you know what? I went down the road. Because the world has changed, Chris. In 20 years ago, the job of an employee, a potential employee, was to convince the employer that they were the right person for that employer. The world has changed now. There's, there's, there's jobs available. So now it's the employer's job to convince the employee they're the right employer for them. So that first impression, that first 30 seconds, although there's an argument say it's the first three seconds or even 0.3 of a second is right, you know, is vital. So, you know, choose where you're going to do your interviews. Be prepared because the employee will have somebody else offering them potentially a position and it will be based on those little things, those little differences that can make all the difference. And how important is it then, Paul, to uh, not only offer the job, but offer the benefits of the job that you're you're offering? Yeah, I mean, when we talk to candidates, often you know, the questions we ask them are, you know, why have you left your previous position? And I'll talk in a minute about maybe the, the golden reason, the absolute reason that most people leave, which isn't what I'm about to talk about now, but working conditions and training and development these are key things that people look for. Whether we're almost whatever, there's often this assumption it's only young people that want to be trained and developed. It's just not true. You know, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they're still often eager to learn more. So when we are trying to talk to people about recruiting them, investing, you know, telling them how you do invest in people in training and development, as well as the salary, you know, beyond that, the opportunity to learn more, to progress. These are really important things when we're looking at recruitment. And then I suppose, Paul, the one of the key elements of your process is, is actually crafting the offer that you're making to somebody. And that, that must be a very important element to it. It's actually also illegal. Important. So one thing that people don't know is that when you make an offer to somebody and they accept, you actually have a contract with that person. And the second piece is on the day one that somebody joins you, by law, they should have in writing what's called the basic terms and conditions. Now, we cover that in a decent offer. So in an offer in writing, which gives all the detail of the salary, the, the location, who they're going to be reporting to, possibly even offering a contract at that stage, you must put a professional offer together, generally by email. That's the way most people would receive it. You know, just a chat across the phone. Would you like to come and join us? Here's your salary. One, that's not particularly professional. And actually, it doesn't give you the opportunity to tick that box of giving them those written terms and conditions on day one. So, you know, a professional, well-written offer is very important as well. And, and, and presumably you help your clients do that because they won't be totally con conversant with um, all the legalities of it, presumably. Yes, absolutely. We uh, we will do all the offer emails on behalf of our clients, but it's very straightforward. It is just about giving them the, what's called the basic terms and conditions, which is the salary, what hours they're going to be working, what their rotor they might be on, if there are any additional benefits for those not necessarily on the supply side, but on the farming side, if you are going to provide accommodation details of that and, and the rules and regulations around that. By that, I mean, you know, what, what are you paying for it? council tax and things like that so the idea is that the the essential terms and conditions should go into your offer so they absolutely know 
in many cases, we will actually provide a full contract of employment at the offer stage so that the employee, potential employee, can read through all of the terms and conditions. Because by law, you have to have that in place within two months. <laughs> so why not get it all up front? You know, get it get it right at the beginning is would be our recommendation. And if we if we look at recruitment in the whole, and, and you've you've covered a lot of ground in this, if you had to pick out one golden rule for recruiting, what, what would it be, Paul? Yeah, that's a really easy one to answer, Chris. And I, when I when I talk from stage or do workshops, I talk about this phrase that we've all heard before: <laughs> proper planning prevents particularly poor performance. Some people put a different word into that phrase, but we've heard the phrase about the importance of planning, the five or six Ps. That's the key. Recruitment is don't rush into it because you're desperate or you're worried. Plan, 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 and plan again for every stage of the process. It's, it's, a, it's a cheesy line, but the more you put into the planning process, the better result you're going to get out at the far end. So don't rush and plan. That's the golden rule. Could you repeat that again? Because I've sort of caught up with it halfway through. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of planning, it's you know, uh, proper planning prevents particularly poor performance. It's the P's of planning, really. And what we're really saying is that's where recruitment will succeed or fail, is how much planning and preparation you put into it. Excellent. Well, look, Paul... Thank you for that run through on recruitment. We're going to split this talk with Paul into two parts. And in the second part, we're going to talk about having spent all this effort and money on on recruiting people. The last thing you want them to do is to get there and find that they're leaving in a month. So, Paul, can I thank you very much indeed? And then we'll continue in, in the next episode. It's a pleasure, Chris. Wow, there's so much to take in there and and none of it rocket science, but more a pragmatic approach based on careful planning and execution of sound business principles. As you heard, this is part one of my conversation with Paul Harris. The next part, and possibly the most important, what steps should an employer take to ensure as far as possible that staff become fully aligned with the company? And that's a word you'll hear in the next episode that the chances of them wanting to leave are greatly reduced. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is an episode of the AgriTurf Academy show in association with Inside AgriTurf podcast. Mm -hmm.